I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabuloso day. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. Here's my coffee. Um, I'm really looking forward to today's uh, devotional in Revelation chapter 4 for the plain and simple reason that the first three chapters of Revelation left me in a state of grief, to be honest. It, it bothered me and grieved me that such a powerful outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in Ephesus, which resulted in all these churches being established and all those people becoming believers in the one true God, it bothered me that in the first three chapters of Revelation that Jesus mostly had rebuke for them with a few notable exceptions. But for the most part, all of these churches uh, fell to the wayside. They're gone now. In fact, within the next hundred years, they were gone. These powerful, uh, this powerful proof of God's move of his Holy Spirit was gone. And, and that bothered me. And I started to look at churches today and church in America, and I grieved all the more because all the things I saw that Jesus was rebuking in these seven churches, I could point a finger at these same sins and same problems in our churches in America. And the, ten the tendency for me is to get very much saddened by all that. So having said that, I entered into chapter four and my spirits were immediately lifted because John now is describing his first few moments in the throne room of the creator of the universe. And it's powerful. It's amazing. So let's get right to it. I'm just going to read through it, and then I'm going to go back and make a few comments. But I, I want to read through it all the way. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne, and surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had gowns of crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and in front of the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle, and each of the four living creatures had six wings, 
and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Ah, after all the bad news of the first three chapters, the good news here, mm, powerful stuff. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm going to avoid um, assigning special meanings and trying to figure out what each of the creatures meant and and what the different precious stones meant and what does it mean that there's a rainbow around his throne, all these things. I'm going to avoid that if for for the special reason that, one, I, I don't feel qualified. Two, my purpose of this is a devotional. I'm looking for something that encourages me, something that gives me direction, something that that God is is uh, speaking to my heart that I can take away today and move with. And I would just be tickling the parts of my brain that are interested in all those details about this creature means is a symbol of this, and this creature is a symbol of that, and the 24 elders are symbols of this, that, or the other thing. Um, I'm going to avoid that because I'm going to, I'm I'm taking a uh, a high level view of this and I'm adopting as uh my maxim for reading this chapter something that's called Occam's razor Occam's razor simply this simpler explanations are more likely to be correct avoid unnecessary or improbable assumptions another way of saying it would be um, the simplest answer is usually the correct one. And so uh, I wrote up here, in direct opposition to the overall picture of the church's decaying power and influence in Asia Minor, we see an incredibly active and powerful God in this chapter. If I stay focused on the state of the church today or the first century, I can't help but be discouraged. But when we look at this part of John's vision of an incredibly powerful and active God, I'm incredibly encouraged to remain in the fight, to stand for the gospel. So how to interpret this vision in this chapter? Occam's razor applies. The simplest answer is often the correct one. And here's the simplest answer to this. The question I asked myself was, is John, is John trying to describe something symbolically so as to communicate special hidden truths to us? through these pictures, or is he just describing what he sees? In other words, is he trying to make sense of what he sees and putting it in terms that his people would understand, right? So in that case, the flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder from the throne mean something. Um, a rainbow that shines like an emerald encircling the throne, that means something special. And who are these 24 elders and oh, could that mean the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel? You know, all those things. Is he trying to communicate through sign language or a code truths in this chapter? Or is he just reporting what he sees? 
There's a difference there to me. If he's reporting what he sees, then this is the way it looks. And for right now, I'm assuming I'm taking Occam's razor. John is reporting what he sees. He's not trying to explain what he sees. He's reporting what he sees. It would be the difference between Walter Cronkite giving the news as it happens and many of today's reporters who interpret the news as it happens, trying to tell us what this news means, what this event means to us. Walter Cronkite would just report the facts. I think John's just reporting the facts. That's where I'm going with this. So let's look at this. There's a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I'd first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Now, this statement, what must take place after this, is from this point on. This is the preamble to what's going to take place. He's descri- So John is describing what it's like to be in the actual throne room of the creator of the universe. And it must have been overwhelming. You know, the very first dream... I had concerning Jesus was when, after I'd been saved just a short amount of time, and I had read Revelation, and I read this part, and I remember it, talk, it talks about the 24 elders bowing and worshiping, and, and the cherubim and the seraphim worshiping, and I'm thinking to myself, so that's it? We go to heaven, and we're just going to worship forever? Um, sorry, that sounds kind of boring. That Those were my thoughts. And uh, I remember going to sleep one night. And in my sleep, I had a dream. And in my dream, I'm walking to a pre-prescribed place for me. I knew there was a place I had to go on a little grassy hill. And I was walking there and, and people all around me were walking to where they had to go. Now, dreams are very surreal. In the dream, everything makes wonderful, glorious sense. When you wake up, you go, what? The what? But in my dream, I knew I had to go to that spot on that hill. So I went to that spot on that hill. And I turned and looked at the eastern sky. And in the eastern sky, it started to get bright. And these numbers started flashing by me. Ten. Nine. You know, and there's a countdown. And I knew that when I hit zero, I was going to see Jesus in the eastern sky. Now, again, in my dream, it made wonderful sense. And when I woke up, I remember going, what? But these numbers are going by, 10, 9. And as, it start, as it's counting down and I'm looking at the eastern sky, an excitement welled up inside me that was unexpected. And as it got closer to zero, three, two, all of a sudden I realized that all I wanted to do was see his face. All I wanted to do was to see my God and fall at his feet and worship him. Honestly, those were my thoughts. That's all I wanted to do. Gone were the thoughts of, oh, I want to go to all these adventures and go to all these uh, galaxies and other universes that are out there and travel around and, and be a spirit and fly around and do all these cool things, which is what I was thinking at the time. All I wanted to do was worship him, fall to my face, 
and stay there forever. Hit zero. The eastern sky exploded in my dream, and I woke up. But for the next four or five minutes, I couldn't even move. I was so overwhelmed by the joy and the excitement of the impending arrival of my God that when I woke up into this real world that I'm in, I couldn't even move. I could not. I was tingly all over. My nervous system had taken a huge hit, and I was sorely disappointed that Jesus had not come back because I desperately wanted to see him. So when I see this, when I read this, I kind of get it. John, it had to be overwhelming. At once I was in the spirit, and before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. We know who that someone is. And the one who sat there had an appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, seated on them, 24 elders, and they worshiped. They worshiped. And this is what they said. Holy, this is what the cherubim said. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's another way of saying he's the I am. Do you remember the story of Moses when Moses talking to the burning bush which was God? He says, who shall I say sent me? Because God was sending him to Israel in Egypt. Who shall I say sent me? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. The powerful title, I am, means I'm always in the now. There's no past. There's no present. There's no future. I stand outside of time and space. I am. And that's this. The Lord Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. Past, present, future mean nothing to him. He stands outside of time. That's his title. I am. Now, we mentioned the elders and we mentioned these seraphim. Uh, it says here, it's the first living creature is like a lion, second like an ox, third had a face like a man, the fourth is like a flying eagle. The temptation for me is to, is to define what these things mean. What does the one that looks like a lion, what is that supposed to be? Is it the lion of the tribe of Judah? The ox, that's strength, right? And face like a man, well, that's us. And the fourth is like a flying eagle. I don't, you know, the truth of the matter is, it is what it is. These were creatures, seraphim. They each had six wings and eyes, and they had faces like this, and this is what they look like. And this is, if you were Jewish, this made sense to you because Isaiah and Ezekiel both talked about these people, these creatures. Seraphim, each had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. Two, they flow, flew, and they were calling to one another. Their faces looked like this, according to Ezekiel. Each of the four had the face of a human being on the right side, the face of a lion, left side, the face of an ox, and each had the face of an eagle. So you can see where the, the picture is being drawn from Ezekiel and the picture is being drawn from Isaiah. Um, what does it mean? What if it doesn't mean anything? What if it just means that's what these creatures look like? Right now, that's what I'm going with. And I'm going with the fact that John is witnessing worship unbridled, untempered, unhampered, uninhibited worship in heaven. Think about that for a second. What hinders us in our life today? Sin. Even if you're a believer, 
Sin colors everything. I'm a musician. I love to compose music. One of the most frustrating things to me is to hear a melody or hear something in my head, and then when I put it down on paper, play it back, something's missing. It's not as glorious as I heard it in my head, and I don't know what the deal is. It's it's sin. It's the imperfections in me that just cannot capture what I'm hearing in my head. How amazing would it be as a musician to be in heaven, to be in a place where there is no sin, you're free from sin, and you hear the melody of the birds in the trees, and you're able to translate that into an anthem of praise perfectly. To me as a musician, that's an aspect of heaven I'm really, really looking forward to, just to be free from sin. He is seeing worship totally freed from sin. He's seeing the the uh, cherubim and seraphim calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is the I Am. And then you have the 24 elders. Who are they? You know what? They could be almost anybody. I he, John doesn't tell us. So since John doesn't tell us, I'm going to take it at face value. There's 24 individuals there with crowns on their heads, and they're called elders. All right? They're called elders, meaning they're leaders, uh, um, ancient. If they stand outside of time like God, though, age means nothing. But regardless, there's 24 of them, and they have crowns. They're important. I don't know if, if in God's economy of governance that these are, this is a level of governance um, that, help, that are God's servants to help govern things here on earth. I, you know, I don't know. But I know this. John saw 24 of them. They had crowns. Obviously, very important personages. And they say, after they lay their crowns on the ground before the throne, they say, you're worthy, our Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. After all the depressing news of the first three chapters of Revelation, this encourages me. This is powerful. This is what heaven looks like. There's worship. There's uh, unhindered worship. No sin. Joy, unspeakable and full of glory. John gets to see that. Now, he's going to see a lot of other things coming up. But this is a pretty good place for him to start after the three chapters about the seven churches. I remember every time I've had like four, maybe four or five possibly uh, dreams where Jesus was involved. And in each one of those, I'm overwhelmed with joy or gratitude or peace. Each one had each one of these dreams had a very for me had a very specific thing that was different from all the other dreams about Jesus. One, I was overwhelmed with grief for my sin. One, I was overwhelmed with anticipation. The, that's the dream I told you about at the very beginning of this devotional. 
waiting for, you know, wanting Jesus to come back. And in another word, I was a place, I was overwhelmed with peace and a sense of completion and joy. So you can imagine all this John experiencing. This is power. This is authority. He is meeting face to face God, the creator of all things. What a powerful, powerful way to open up what about what's about to come. Now, he's about to tell a story, and he's about to give some details about what's going to happen. And we're going to talk about that as we continue on Revelation chapter 5. Uh, there are some very big things that are getting ready to happen, and John does use descriptive language to communicate these things. So, But in this one, I'm saying he is not using symbolic language. He's reporting what he sees. He's doing the Walter Cronkite version of giving the news, just the facts. And the facts say heaven's going to be amazing. All right, with that, ladies and jelly spoons, I want you to know that I am out of here. And I will see you tomorrow for Revelations chapter 5. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.